Well, this week we'd like to welcome you to Church Really Unscripted as we are doing this right after the service. So uh, we really had no time to prepare. Um, myself, I had a little bit more time because I got to sit through two services and go through things where the two of you guys were a little bit busy today uh, for that. So uh, we are doing Church Really Unscripted. And uh, for those of you who uh, do watch this at one and a half times speed, I'm going to apologize up front because I talk fast sometimes, so it'll <laughs> probably sound really fast. So I'll apologize right now. That's that. all right. I do too. Yeah. The first question really is for you, Eric. Um, what is the, um, what's that little thing that you play chess on? Do you, do you know what that's called? <laughs> oh my listen, listen, sometimes when you're preaching, all right, your brain goes blank, okay? Yeah, okay and right. you forget simple words like a chess board, Board, okay? Yes, so thing. I'm like, what is this thing? I, the only, the word I had in my mind was chess plate. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> not. But I had to keep going. So I just used it. So, so the, the joy that I had was okay. I was up in the broadcast booth and your son was up there yeah. running things, which was really cool seeing him <laughs> serving. Yeah. But to hear him um, be like, Dad, we play chess all the time. It's a chess board. <laughs> yes, board. So uh, it was pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's right. That was, that was called a, a brain dump or whatever you want to call Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the first thing that um, you know, I wrote a bunch of notes on, uh, the one thing that I want to start off with maybe is um, just the thought of when we need God's blessing, just as Nehemiah needed that today, how often do we run to things other than God? Um, kind of things. Oh, you know, we try question. to fill ourselves in there. I just didn't know if you guys had any thoughts there. Absolutely. Um, I do have some thoughts. Um, I, I know you do as well, but I, I think this is something that we perhaps referred to a while ago on, on this podcast, and that is our tendency to run to things that uh, medicate the pain, numb the pain, uh, and can you know uh, take our minds off of it. And so it's we kind of couch it in terms of like me time, or that's my hobby, or something like that. But sometimes they're destructive hobbies, sometimes they're not. But I think it's anything that can can numb the pain from the stress and the pressure. Um, and all, all they do is end up being a temporary Band-Aid that doesn't actually deal with the pain itself. But I was, I was thinking when you said that, uh, the, when we, I think sometimes we go to other things for the blessing because God doesn't always bless us in our own timing. Like, oh God, I really need blessing over this or that. Um, but sometimes it takes a few years for that blessing to finally come or whatever that looks like. And so it's easier to, to get the, the instant gratification of I jump on Amazon and I buy something right now because mm -hmm. I know it'll be here. They, they do it overnight now. Yeah. So I know I can have it in the morning and it's, it's easier to, to feel blessed when you get that immediate gratification. Right. And yeah. I think that probably plays into why we can tend to often go to other things. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's, so I think we learned, uh, I don't know where I learned this, but maybe it was an article, maybe it was a conference that uh, there is, um, there's something going on in your brain that, that mimics what cocaine or crack does to your brain. And so you can become addicted to cocaine or drugs. You can also become addicted to, um, pleasure or entertainment. Mm. And, and if you, if you give yourself too much to those kind of things as a way of numbing the pain of the pressure, then you can actually in the long term do more harm to yourself because now you've established the pattern of escape uh, in a way that's not healthy and wholesome for yourself. And I don't, I don't think God blesses that. I think he warns you about that. Yeah. Um, and he continually tries to pull you back from those kind of things. But it could be something, I mean, for me, maybe it's, maybe it's woodworking. Maybe it's craftsmanship and maybe I won't feel like I'm satisfied unless I spend some time doing that. Or maybe for some people it's vacations. Mm -hmm. Those are not inherently bad, but it's, 
it's a one way that we can numb the pain to escape the reality of the pressure that we're under right now. Yeah. That's interesting. Somebody the, the other day had approached me just because I, I try to live my life in a way that I, you know, I use this phrase of live life adventurously where, you know, just life's too short, you know, to not take chances, have fun, those type of things. And um, it got me thinking about that. I'm like, am I filling myself with these adventurous things because I'm not truly finding my comfort and my love and my passion being fulfilled totally with what, you know, what God uh, and with uh, with him with that. So that's an interesting thought there. Yeah. Um, going along with those lines, really, you know, so, you know, to quote you, if you want to finish the purpose you gave me, I need you to bless me because I'm about to sink. That was kind of your paraphrasing of, um, of Nehemiah with that. Um, my mind then went similar in another direction with that is, you know, how often do we depend on God's power and how often do we try to do it ourselves and do it with that? Um, I think back to before we uh, were brought to Fort Wayne and to Brookside, um, I had about a nine month period where I was out of work. And one of the things that really taught me there is um, in our, in the United States, in our culture, we truly don't know what it means to depend on God for our daily bread. Mm -hmm. That was the closest I've ever had to having to depend on God for my daily bread, but I never had to worry about even my kids, that they were gonna still be fed, all those type of things with that. Um, so what about the whole depending on own, our own power and doing those things um, where we still are taking control and we're still doing things our way? Um, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I don't know if we have the spiritual maturity to decide to fully depend on God and not any of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us have that maturity. I think the only way that you fully depend on God to sustain you is when you have nothing left of yourself to lean on. Yeah. And I think actually in chapter six, that's, that's what Nehemiah came to. I mean, you can see indications in the story so far that he was able to lean on his authority given to him by the Persian king. Mm. He's able to lean on his own wealth in helping other people find loan money for food and so forth. That's in chapter five. Yeah. Um, we saw his ability to use his political position to influence people around him. And I don't think God, I don't think God was upset about that. I think God gives us certain strengths and abilities that he expects us to use in pursuit of the purpose that we have been given. But I do think that there comes to a time where you realize my limitations are far less than I thought they were. Mm -hmm. um, and you begin to experience probably because of a circumstance you did not expect or did not invite to realize that God himself is your sustainer. Mm. I don't think... Nehemiah realized just how much he needed to depend on God until chapter six, when the opportunity to have relief from his enemies presented itself. Because that's when they, they it was a ruse of course, mm. but they were trying to present themselves as friends, as new allies. And he might've had the thought, you know what? I'm, I can finally have a break from my opposition if I just become friends with them. Mm. But that would have been, mm. uh, that would have been dealing with the pain of the pressure on his own understanding. Mm. And, and, you know, Proverbs tells us not to do that. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, another thing that really, you know, as you were talking about Nehemiah and just him just saying, hey, look, I've done what you're, I'm doing your purpose. Mm. I need your help or I'm going to drown here. Um, the thought of Jacob and uh, where he wrestled with God um, really uh, popped in my mind. And where um, in Genesis 32, uh, he basically says, um, Oh, let's see, 32, 26. He said, then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And the thought really popped into my head of, you know, you and I had a conversation earlier this week, just uh, how often do we um, really pursue God and how often do we get distracted and just give up? So there may be something in our lives and you and I have had these conversations of, you know, do I continue to pursue and go after God? And no, I'm not giving up till you bless me kind of thing uh, with that. And I, I know my, the things I struggle with, as we talked about, um, I can corporately pray. Super fantastic, I can do that. Um, but then I thought to myself, what's my, what's my personal prayer life mm. like? Am I truly communing with God? Am I truly mm. um, crying out to him? The whole concept of fasting and praying, mm. um, are, are we truly going after God in those things and saying, no, God, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give up until you bless me. Mm. Um, I'm not gonna give up until I, I see your purpose in this. Um, mm. And that's, a, that's another tweak, I think sometimes that, do we give up until we see his purpose or until we see our purpose too? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know if you guys have thoughts. I, there. I always struggle with that because I'm like, you mentioned the transactional relate. What'd you say? Transactional formula versus a relationship with God. That always is like a struggle in my mind. Cause it's like, okay, am I, am I doing these things because I want God to bless me? And then that's a transaction, but how do I not make it transactional? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder, I mean, speak to that a little bit more because I think when I hear, when I hear, I'm not giving up until you bless me, like that could create almost an arrogance in some people that's unhealthy and the blessing won't come. So how do we, how do we protect against that? Like, oh, man, what, that, that's do, what does that look question. like? And I can, I think I can understand how that would appear to be or seem to be a transactional kind of formula, but I, I see it, that is extremely relational because I liken it to your marriage. Your wife did not say yes to marry you after the first time you said, hey, I wanna marry you. No, she needed to see that you would pursue her. She needed to see that you would pursue her beyond any other woman, beyond any other interest, because she was looking out for any other kind of trap that would ensnare you and take your love and loyalty away from her. So I think that's what's going on mm. is because God is such a relational God. I mean, the Bible says he's a jealous God mm. and he will not share us with any other God. Right. And so when Jacob was wrestling with God, I think what God was waiting for is, uh, are you willing to pursue me until you get from me what you so desire from me? Now, I don't think that's manipulating God. I think that's God's relational nature saying, I know what you need, but I want to see how badly you want me mm. first. Mm. And, um, and I think that's, I think that's Jesus too. Mm. I mean, before Jesus died on the cross, he was in the garden of Gethsemane. He was crying his eyes out, literally crying yeah. tears, right? Yeah. Of blood. Um, and my, my thought, you know, why didn't Jesus get what he wanted after the first minute of prayer? Why did it take the son of God the entire night <laughs> to get from his heavenly father, what right. he was asking for? Yeah. Why did he have to cry tears of blood to get it? Hmm. And I think it's not because he, he had a, a length of time and a certain prayer incantation hmm. uh, to get finally from God that would unlock like a, it's like it's a video game, you know? You get to unlock new levels of God's blessing. <laughs> I don't think that's the way he works. Um, I think it's relational. And so you have learned to live with your wife over the years you've been married and you figured out what is it that makes her happy? What is it that makes her sad? What are her triggers? And because of that, you now know how to do this relational dance where you make a move in a way that you know is going to cause her to move in return. 
And I think that's the way that it works with mm. God. I, I'm wondering though, if here's, here's my question. Again, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the host for a second. All right. <laughs> um, do you think Satan wants to bless us? The reason I say that in the mm. book of Nehemiah, his enemies, again, it was a ruse, right? It was all fake, mm. but they put off the appearance that they wanted to bless Nehemiah. Let's become friends. Let's mm. become allies. Let's work together on this. Let's meet together. Mm. Do you think our enemy Satan wants to bless us? I, so uh, the thought that comes to my mind is, I, I think, yes. I think it's a, it's a tool that he does to manipulate us, mm. to distract us, to, you know, if he can get us um, thinking that our life is quote unquote blessed and get our focus on those things things he's blessing us per se with, uh, then our focus isn't on God. It, hmm. Our focus isn't on, on Christ at that point. So I think he's going to use anything to steal, destroy, to manipulate mm-hmm. us. And um, sometimes those great things in our lives can become barriers. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, we talked about, you know, the um, me living life to the fullest and mm-hmm. you know, doing adventurous things, those aren't bad. Mm-hmm. But when it becomes so much, those are things that I need, that aren't strangling me that I need to mm-hmm. cast off. So I think he can. I, I think he absolutely can. Yeah, I was, yeah. was going to say he's very crafty mm-hmm. in that way. Uh, especially in America, we have the American dream, right? The, yeah. the cul-de-sac house with the white picket fence and two and a half kids or whatever. I don't have either um, of those things. I say, I know you don't have <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kids, but that's, <laughs> yeah, a, that's a I've got a couple of more. I've got doubled. Yeah. <laughs> you um, ultimately yeah. blessed. Right. No, right. but I think I, uh, as you were talking, the, the, the story of the rich man um, wanting to follow Jesus came to mind and, and Jesus says, sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And I think that's how we, because I was, I was wondering, I'm like, well, then how do we tell the difference between a blessing from God and a blessing from the enemy mm. if they, they can be hand in hand, yeah. right? Like it, it kind of is like, well, is this, now am I going to be like, oh, is this from God or is this from Satan? And if I take, uh, you know, but I think the, I think it comes down to the heart posture where Jesus is saying like, if you're willing to give up all of this material blessing, and follow me, then you'll know that you're blessed. Yeah. Because so, the last thing I wrote down was, what does bless me mean? Yeah. Mm. That's an important question, isn't it? Because, I mean, th- that's where discernment has to come into play, right. which is why that was the majority of my sermon on discernment, because I do think that Satan has the authority and wants to bless us mm. in certain ways. Mm. I mean, that, that's the story of the mountain of temptations, right? When Jesus was tempted for 40 days, yeah. he said, all authority has been given to me. This is yeah. Satan talking. Yeah. Authority's been given to me and I can give it to, I mean, what, actually, what does he say? All say, the, all these kingdoms, kingdoms have been yeah. given to me yeah. and I can give them to whoever I want to. And I don't think he's lying. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it was given to him because Adam and Eve gave it to him in the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. after God gave them the authority. He They handed it off to Satan. So I think Satan has the authority and the desire to bless us as a way of keeping our our need for Jesus hidden behind those blessings. And I think it requires discernment to... It almost reminds me of a Trojan horse. I learned this in history class a long time ago, and I haven't even thought about it until this moment. So that was... Not as long as me. So so I guess I did learn something in history class, but it's that idea of like, here's something that looks nice, like a gift, but then on the inside, it's just going to eat you apart. And I think that's what we have to be careful of is, is really that discernment of saying like, Okay, yeah, I can I can choose this job or I can stay at this job. Which one? I mean, that could be a 
that could be a blessing in disguise from God or that discernment if it tell if it's telling you, hey, stay away. Yeah. The money's not worth it. You know, it's like yeah. that discernment's really important. And I don't think it's just related to material possessions. A lot of us say, and, and myself and my wife included say, you know what? It's it's nice to have some alone time every once in a while, you know? Yeah. And so not to put words in your mouth, but when you say like your wife and your daughter or something are going downtown, which is totally fine. It's like, okay, maybe I have a couple of hours to just do whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. If you say that too much though, I think Satan's going to grab a hold of that and say, you know what? I can, I can bless you with that. I can give you a ton of alone time. Mm-hmm. All I got to do is start to work to wedge between you and your marriage and your wife. And all of a sudden I'm going to give you everything you wanted to all the alone time you want through the divorce. Yeah. And I think we have to be careful of, of allowing, using discernment to allow Satan to, um, to prevent him from blessing us in a way that's only going to entrap us. Yeah. I think one of the kind of go along with those, you know, where you made the comment of, you know, boldly approach God with confidence mm-hmm. and the fact that sin steals that confidence uh, with that. And um, the in order to approach God, it requires that proximity with that. And um, I always equate sometimes things and try to equate my prayer life sometimes with this. Um, Before COVID, when I worked outside the home and I'm working at home all the time, but uh, before COVID, I would send my wife texts throughout the day or whatever. And that kept us connected while I was at work. I couldn't sit down and have a half hour conversation with her. Um, Now, if I continue just to text her, throughout the evening and throughout the, the, the day, how often would that bring us in proximity in a real relationship? Uh, whereas, you know, sometimes our prayers, those, those quick little prayers of saying, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I just heard about this happening. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for Plastic Eric for that. Those are fantastic. Those are like those little text mm-hmm. prayers kind of thing or whatever. Yeah. But sometimes we just need to, you know, pull it off and to go, go deeper mm-hmm. uh, with that. And which, uh, like I shared with you this past week, um, that's convicting me right now. Mm. of, you know, how have I really approached the, the throne for, um, for my family, for my wife, mm. all those things with that, but it requires proximity. Mm. It really yeah. does. Mm. Um, but uh, that whole sin is stealing that confidence and that mm. ability to do with that. Um, it really made me think about, um, you know, in, in verse 13, you know, he talked about, you know, where if he would have ran into the temple, you know, what would his... Uh, what would his, the people following him would have thought, you know, as a leader in the marketplace, um, I was actually watching a video this week on uh, something called the Bathsheba syndrome of the further you go up into leadership, sometimes you lose that accountability. And just the thought of those of us in leaders or those of us as a dad or as a husband or as a a boss, um, that one little act of, um, losing your integrity, it destroys your entire integrity for that. So the thought of, um, you know, Nehemiah, if he would have ran into that, you know, what that does to the leadership and the conviction that I had as a leader of how do I stay pure as best as I can. And then I even started, you know, pulling that into um, the church. One of our biggest um, barriers that we have as a church of reaching people for Christ are us. Hmm. You know, and people talk about, well, I'd go to church if it wasn't for all the hypocrites, hmm. you know, kind of thing with that. Hmm. And I think sometimes um, our our defense there is, oh, well, we're just a church full of sinners that were forgiven. 
and it almost gives it that, uh, that license. And, you know, I had wrote, written that down and then part of your take home went right along that where you <laughs> said, uh, eliminate, I'm just human. Um, so I don't know if you want to expand on that a little bit, how sometimes us as the church are using that excuse of, oh, I'm forgiven. So I- I'm good to go. Yeah, well, the good thing is, the good news of the gospel is that we are forgiven. However, what scripture does say is that it does not give you a license to continue sin. I mean, that's called cheap grace. Yeah. Paul talks about that all over the New Testament. But if you really want to listen carefully to the New Testament, you will hear Jesus in John 14 through 17 say, is I will give you the spirit. He will not just be with you, he will be in you. And if you abide in me, I will abide in you. Uh, you hear Jesus say, I mean, the, the Christmas story is the first time that we really see this theme show up and that is that I will be with you, the name Emmanuel, right? Mm. And so it's not this idea of a distant God, but one who is in close proximity to you, but not just in nearness, he's in you. And so because of that, he changes who you are. Yeah. I mean, it's not, just, it's not just, you know, fictitious language in the New Testament to say that you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Mm. You're made in the likeness of Jesus. It's you are a new creation. You've been born again. Yeah. For you have died to sin and your life is now hidden in Christ for you've been made alive in him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's, that's scripture that tests very powerfully to the fact that even though you are human, you're not human. Yeah. Um, you have the character and the nature and the heart and the mind of God increasingly being built into you. And so the older you get, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more power over sin you should have the more power over the traps that trip up your purpose you should have. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I, and, it, and it grieves me and I, I, I'm sad for the people who have been a part of church or have been Christian religious mm-hmm. for decades and they're still struggling with the same sin. And I don't say that to shame anybody. I'm just saying it feels like I grieve the fact that they're missing out on, on the power of the presence of God inside them mm-hmm. that gives them the power over over sin. And so that's why I say, you can't just say you're human uh, because you're not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think with, um, with that whole sin causing the, the separation and removing that confidence, uh, that, that's obviously a tool that Satan uses all the time. Um, I think about the, uh, the confidence, the boldness, uh, when God's getting ready to do something huge, incredible. Um, that's when Satan puts on the full court press, yeah. you know, with that, mm. you know, being around church my whole life, the joke has always been, Oh, the week of Christmas, the week of Easter, you got pastors better be, <laughs> better be lined up, ready yeah, to go yeah, because yeah. Satan's going to come after you. But it does. He, he realizes when God is getting ready to do a huge movement, that's when he needs to go, um, mm. kind of go on his full court press with that. Um, any thoughts on, you know, how we can be on our guard because I fully believe mm. that um, God is doing some amazing things in this church. Uh, we have some incredible momentum, which um, honestly, as an elder um, here at the church, makes me concerned for you guys as, <laughs> as staff members, uh, because that means that God's going to attack your family. He's going to attack. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Edit, rewind, edit. theology yes. going on yeah, there. No, I'm sorry. Um, Satan's going to attack, you know, with that. Uh, so, and, and I know that lives are being changed, you know, in the congregation here. Um, any words of encouragement that you guys can give to um, the people listening of, hey, Satan's getting ready to come after you because um, God's doing some awesome things right now. I think uh, there's two things that come to mind to be in the word and to be in community. And I think 
um, those two things alone help us fight our battles. I mean, we've talked about that, even having people behind your back that can help uh, kind of watch your back, help lift your arms whenever you need it, whatever that looks like. Um, but I think, you know, you'll, you'll be able to withstand um, when you spend time with Jesus because you'll recognize the difference between uh, the blessings of Jesus and the blessings of the enemy and how to fight those battles. But then also to just be in community with people that, that love you and care about you um, and can have your back. I think that's in the American church. I think that's where we lack the most is that community aspect because we are so busy that we don't take time to actually have relationship with people. And so if we can be transparent and vulnerable, um, I think then we're, uh, it, we're actually allowing people to help us in our, in our struggles, in our battle. Yeah. That, was, that was one of the most significant markers of the early church in the book of Acts. It said they were all together, right? Had everything in common, shared with each other. They broke bread together, studied the word of God together. I love that communal aspect. Um, a, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. <clears throat> and you can be in a part of a community, mm. but if you're not doing what Ephesians tells you to do, put on the full armor of God, uh, be on guard for the devil prowls around like a roaring yeah. lion looking for somebody to devour. So be self-controlled, be alert. So it, it's, it's not helpful to anybody to say, you know, when Satan attacks you, you'll be fine. You won't be fine. Mm. Um, and this is very real stuff. When he attacks, marriages fall apart. When he attacks, you break your integrity. You compromise your character. You make decisions that, that you will regret for the rest of your life. Just as God's blessings can be kinetic and change the world around you, so can his, say it's Satan's attacks, are very mm -hmm. kinetic and change the world around you. Um, and so it's a very big deal uh, when we say put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand right. against the devil's schemes. That's a big deal. Yeah. If you're not in a community, oh my goodness, the easiest meal for a lion is a, is a piece is a, is a an animal a prey that is all by itself. Mm -hmm. You are a sitting duck if yeah. you're by yourself. Yeah. And so if you're not part of a Christian community, say you know I can watch online and I've got a, a personal relationship with God, which is true, but it's in the context of community, mm -hmm. and that'll protect yeah. you. Here's my question back at you guys: for those of us who have stepped in the traps, who have compromised integrity who have broken character at times in our life, how do we, here's two questions. What is, the, what is the larger impact in the spiritual realm of a stepping in his trap? And then secondly, is how do we get free from it? Ooh, why are you looking at me first? Um, no. <laughs> oh, goodness. Humility and humbleness comes to my mind first. Uh, that um, we, I'm going to flip back into the business world a little bit sometimes. A lot of the people that have fallen so far from up here down to, you know, the depths are those people that have tried to cover up, have tried to think that they could, you know, let's use King David per se. You know, King David saw Bathsheba. Mm. He said, go get her slept with her, had a child. Well, then he started trying to cover up and cover up and cover up and cover up and cover up. Um, if he would have came clean right away, would there have been ram ramifications? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But 
probably not as big ramifications sometimes. So I think sometimes us as leaders or us as dads, husbands, uh, whatever it may be, um, whatever whatever place of leadership that God has put you in, having that humbleness to say, I was wrong, mm. to be able to do that, um, to, to strip that pride away a little bit. Um, I know that... Um, this wasn't an ethical failure, you know, when I lost my job previously, but it, it was a, um, a portion that I had lost my focus of how I truly lead and what my purpose was. I'd really didn't have a, a, a clear purpose of what it was. And I had to be stripped of all the arrogance, of all the pride, of all of those things. And to humbly say, you know, look, yeah, I may, I may have worked hard. I may have done all those things, but um, it's not me kind of thing and to to fully admit uh, of where the wrongdoings were that yeah I was arrogant my focus was the promotion getting results and then the people were down here kind of thing uh, with that and to then you know to to have that humble moment of okay the severance has kind of dried up and now this highly educated person needs to go file for unemployment and to, to have that humbleness that hits you with that, um, that's when you start to reconcile and you really start to pull things in. And for me, it was a point where I was able to reshape my, um, my purpose uh, with that to where I was able to redefine and actually articulate my purpose is to be a positive influence on all those people I encounter. Mm-hmm. Now I can say that whether I'm at work, I can say that whether I'm at home or whether I'm at church, um, Ultimately, it's to see people get to, you know, to become Christian, fully devoted Christians with that. Um, and I think that even lines up with, um, you know, what you had said that when you go through challenges, it gives you a stronger purpose mm-hmm. and it gives you that resolve mm-hmm. for that. And so God can use you in the moments when you fail to um, basically say, okay, I've broken you down. Now it's time to build you back up a little bit with that. But I think it just takes humbleness, really. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the cross is what affords that to us. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Because as much as Satan wants to entangle us and trap us, mm-hmm. when we have that humility you're talking about and then come before the throne of God and ask for forgiveness, the Bible promises he's going to forgive us. Yeah. Yeah. And in that moment, uh, the the power of Satan has been defeated. Mm-hmm. And then whatever stronghold he's been building is beginning to get torn down. The question is, are we going to allow him to keep building it? Or mm-hmm. are we going to allow God to completely destroy that stronghold in our life? And then we find freedom, we find victory. Yeah. But I think, I, I think humility is critical, especially if you're going to ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You don't need forgiveness <laughs> if you don't have any humility. Yeah. Because yeah. well, uh, you just don't see it. I was going to say it takes humility to receive grace. Because yeah. I think that's, that's yeah. part of the reason why a lot of us struggle with uh, shame and guilt is that we're like, well, we gotta, we, I gotta do something to earn this grace. Well, no, it's, it's free. It's, it's paid for. It's already been purchased. You just have to be willing enough to say like, I need grace and to be set free from that, uh, in your mind even. So, so I've got a question elder. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things I mentioned is that the illustration was when you're sinking, what you most need from somebody, especially who's somebody in close proximity to you, Mm -hmm. is not some verbal blessing that might sound just like a spiritual nicety, right? What you need is actually a hand to pull you out of the the water. Mm -hmm. And 
that's true spiritually speaking when we ask God to come in and, and bless us. But what if God chooses to use other people, talking about community, right? To be the hands that he uses to reach in and pull you out of the water. So as a church, how do we know that we're not just throwing out spiritual niceties to people in need? How do we know that we're actually giving them a hand to pull them out of the water? And if we're not doing that, maybe we need to change tactics in some way. I don't know if I'm going to answer your question here or if I'm just going to beat around the bush. But we'll, okay. <laughs> when, when, when you started talking about that word picture, um, I immediately went to um, the story of the Good Samaritan of you know, how often as uh, us as you know, church leaders or whatever it may be, how, oh, I'm going to pass on the other side of the street. Um, it takes action. It really does. Uh, so to answer your question of, you know, because that's where I struggle with people when somebody's like, hey, pray for me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll pray for you. Yeah. Am I really going to do that? You know, kind yeah. of thing. Um, I try to make a habit sometimes of just stopping, you know, stopping right there and saying, hey, let's just pray right now, which depending on where you're at, maybe feel kind of weird or whatever. Um, my best friend from college is phenomenal at that. Um, where we'll be on the phone and I'll say, hey, you know, how can I pray for you coming up this week or whatever? And he'll tell me, he's like, okay, I'm gonna pray for you right now, you know, kind of thing <laughs> over the phone because he lives in Boston, mm. you know? And, and I think that makes an impact, you know, from a prayer standpoint that if they can hear you audibly do that. Um, I had a situation just within the past week and a half, uh, one of my former employers had a very, employees had a very serious surgery and uh, she, she reached out to me and said, hey, can you pray for me or whatever? And I tried to reach out to her and say, hey, what specifically can I pray for you about? As well as, is there anything I can do beyond that kind of thing? So I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head when you're, when you're talking about um, when people are like, yes, just, just pray for me. And I'm like, okay, can I go beyond that? Mm. You know, can we, you know, be Jesus with skin and actually mm. do something for you? Is prayer a powerful thing? It absolutely is. Um, but if I'm just kind of doing it behind the scenes mm. and you don't see or hear or feel anything beyond mm. that, it's, it's words without action in a lot mm. of cases with that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I completely agree. Can I kind of give a grievance a little bit? Yeah, I, I feel like that the majority of the time when somebody is struggling, there's a lot of people with the greatest intentions and they would follow through on this stuff is ask, is there anything I can do for you? Mm -hmm. Including like, hey, can I make a meal for you? Mm -hmm. Or can I set up a meal train for you? Or can I take your kids to whatever, you know? And because we're, we're generous people, we want to be helpful, just like you talked about. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the time the response is, thanks, but no thanks, I've got things covered. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like because we don't want to inconvenience other people, yeah. And because we want to be able to stand our own two feet, we say, no, thanks. I don't need your hand to help. And so we kind of stay in the water, figuratively speaking, mm -hmm. thinking I can just continue to tread water yeah. and I just don't want to inconvenience you. So thanks, but no thanks. It goes back to the arrogance. Mm -hmm. that th There's not a humbleness there of realizing it's like, I don't want people to know my dirty laundry. I don't want people to know that I'm not okay. Hey, here's a little bit of a hint. I'm not okay. I'm a screw up, you know, but basically kind of thing that I'm, I'm trying to figure it out kind of with those things with that. But we as a church mm. globally, um, we're not good at confessing. You know, it says confess your sins to one another. Mm -hmm. When was the last time, you know, somebody came up to be like, hey, I just, Eric, I need to let you know about this thing that's going on right now. Mm. No, I'm going to hide that because there's shame. Yeah. And I, there's, there's pride there that doesn't want to 
have you think something different than me than um, anything with that. So, uh, so when we're in need and we're, we are drowning and somebody tries to help, that's a pride thing if we're not willing to allow somebody to help with that. Um, I think it's interesting that sometimes, you know, we, we think about what's going on in our own families and, um, you know, do our families even know what's going on, let alone our church family and kind of thing, you know? And, um, yeah, it's one of those interesting things. I think it comes down to humility and pride. I mean, we're, we're too proud. We got this. Right. One of the things that uh, I've found, and Katie and I have talked about this a lot, is it, it's one thing, like, on the community side to say, hey, can I help you with anything? Can I, uh, can I make you a meal or can I whatever? But it's a different thing if you just say, hey, I'm bringing you food. Oh, yeah, that's Ooh. good. Instead of, because it, it is a way of saying like, I see you and like, I don't even know if you need a meal, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're just, I am bringing you it this time, this place. Mm-hmm. And it helps us as a community to even break down some of that arrogance because like, I know I don't like to ask for help. Scott. So knows you're this. saying if I would shoot yeah. a text out right now to the worship team <laughs> yeah, and say, Hey, right. David could use some help yeah. today <laughs> setting up right. our worship exactly. camp this week. Yeah, so exactly. well, they're yeah. probably not going to get this until later on this week. But so if I text them now, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. right. But yeah. so it's, it's, it, it's, it's easier if somebody shows up and says, I am helping you mm-hmm. do this. That's true. Um, because I don't like to inconvenience people. And I think, like for me, my driving motivation isn't necessarily I'm going to do it myself. It's more so I want them to be with their families. And so I, for me, if somebody says, hey, I'm coming, like, like Dustin's going to help me this afternoon. He said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick around and help. And I'm like, well, you can go home if you want. Like, I don't want to inconvenience you. Yeah, right. But he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help. And so I think as a community, we can actually support one another better and break down maybe some of that arrogance or that, uh, you know, that little bit of pride to just say like, Hey, no, we are like, I am going to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And you can let me know when it works, but I am doing it. I think, I think people in general, especially if you're part of a church and definitely Brookside, right? Mm -hmm. I think people generally want to help. They look Mm -hmm. forward to the opportunities because they see how they are helping other people. And when we say no thanks, it's almost like a punch in the gut. Like, no, 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 I don't need you. And that's, that's anti-communal, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to, in my own life, trying to implement this policy of if somebody offers the help, especially when we have a a time of need, right? right? I'm trying to figure out how to say yes, even if I don't feel like I need to say yes. Mm. And I actually, I broke that. I mean, uh, our daughter actually had a, a little bit of a, a pass out at the zoo the other day and some people texted and said, hey, you did. You texted and said, hey, can we do anything for you? And I couldn't think of anything. So I said, yeah. thanks, but no thanks. But what I should have done is say, you know, I really appreciate that. If, if you're passing by here, maybe we could use, you know, Arby's or something like that. And so sometimes I, I think... If, if all you want to do is serve other people, mm-hmm. but yet you're not willing to be served, that's just as much of an arrogance because <laughs> it's just as much an arrogance because now just you just want to be the good over there. Yeah. Sorry, geez. that wasn't on purpose. Oh, jeez. No, no, no. So you're good. You're I good. take back what I said. No, don't do it. No. No, say it again. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think another struggle sometimes we have is I love the proactivity, but sometimes like well, what, what does that look like? What does the person actually need? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of thing. Am I just gonna, you know, show up with an, another casserole that their freezer is gonna be full with, yeah, or is right. there something else? Can we 
sometimes we need to be creative. Well, <laughs> right. That's, how can we yeah. come up with something else? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not everybody's need is the same. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like, especially in the church, meals are the default, which oh, is yeah. great. Mm -hmm. Super helpful. Yeah. yeah. But like there's, there's, uh, there's been people that have blessed us in ways that I'm like, wow, I would have mm -hmm. never imagined. Like I, if you asked me if I needed help, I would have told you no. Yeah. But you you went ahead and you sent me that card and that just, yeah. that made a difference yeah. in my family. And I'm just yeah. going to say sometimes though too is, you know, us as American culture, again, it's really easy to to send a meal or to send a gift card or, you know, similarly with the church. Mm -hmm. It's really easy, well, maybe not in all the cases, but e easy to write a check out and to support, you know, something financially. Ooh. But what's it like to actually, you know, yeah. hey, I'm going to go work in the kids ministry yeah you know yeah. oh my goodness yeah, you know what's that going to look like so similarly you know could i say hey david what you need you know i'm, I'm just going to send you a gift card to whatever or am i gonna christine i gonna pick things up and go take care of their five kids so they can go out on a date you know mm -hmm. being creative like that sometimes yeah. where if he hurt his ankle go mow yeah. the yard is it generosity if it doesn't hurt yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's really true. i mean yeah, that's, that's the yeah. case you know sometimes you know yeah. are we giving till it hurts sometimes mm. Mm. that's a good, good point um, so, I mean, these are, good, these are good conversations. I feel like we've had a thread through all of it. Yes. I feel like the thread is when you're under pressure, what you need is God's blessing to be mm. kinetic, to change the reality around you. Mm. What we kind of landed on, it feels like often God can do that himself, supernaturally and miraculously, yep. right? Other times he likes to use his church, hmm. your community, hmm. to be his hands and feet to bring that blessing yeah. about. It's all relational. And all relational. Yeah. So I really like the conversation. Yeah. Uh, anything else we need to talk about before we wrap well, this one there up? There was one thing that you said. Oh, no. This is not no, this is this is the opposite of what we talked about. Okay. So it may be like another 40-minute conversation. <laughs> I don't know. No, but you, you talked about, and I was, I, was wa I was watching backstage for the second service and... This this was wrestle. I was I was wrestling with this thought. So you said Nehemiah prays to frustrate the plans of his enemies, um, and I was wrestling with the with the whole idea of like balancing that with the charge to love our enemies mm -hmm. in the New Testament. And how do we um how do we well, there's a few different things that I noticed. One is that he prayed to frustrate the plans of his enemy. I feel like in our in our American church, if we have enemies, we like to post about them and make it a, an argument right away, but he's praying for them, which is just a side. Um, but how do we how do we balance that charge of loving our enemies? But also like there is some merit to praying against things that are against the will of God. I think there's a key word in there though. The, it's pray against their plans. Mm -hmm. So w we need to pray against their schemes, their plans, mm -hmm. things that they may be doing, but we're supposed to love them in the midst of that. And so, you know, somebody may be trying to harm you mm -hmm. and you obviously want to pray against those things. Yeah. Um, but in the long run, we want to, mm -hmm. you know, pray for and love our enemies as best as we can, you know, throughout those. So I think the key word is the plans. Yeah. We want mm -hmm. to thwart their plans. Mm -hmm. one, of, one of the purposes that God has given me and you and you is to be a loving Christ-centered husband to our wives, right. mm -hmm. a loving Christ-centered father to our kids. Mm -hmm. If I discover that there's some other guy who's trying to move in on my wife, then the charge is not to go attack him. The charge is to pray that God will frustrate his plans to steal my wife's affections from me and go to him, right? Now, I trust my wife that she wouldn't do that. However, I don't want her to deal with the pressure of that opposition, right? right. So my prayer is that God will frustrate his plans. 
And if there's any kind of like uh, curriculum, perhaps at the school, maybe it's a public school, then our kids are yeah. listening to or being taught that is counter to our faith. I'm not going to pray that God shuts the school down. I'm not going to pray that all those teachers get fired. I'm going to be praying that either my kids have the spiritual fortitude and the discernment to recognize the mm. whatever that is being taught, yeah. or that maybe there's some legislation or something that needs to happen that will correct it in some way. So it, it's not just, you're not going after the person. Right. But what you see is Jesus frustrating the plans of his enemies all the time in the gospels while not attacking the person themselves. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're on the top of that list, yeah. right? So, um, no, that's good. I just, I felt like yeah. that was something you said that I was like, man, I, I'm... I wonder if a lot of people were kind of wrestling with that. So I just wanted to make sure we kind of hit on that a little bit before we yeah. wrapped up the conversation. Wrap it up, yeah. And I think there's one more thing that, that caught me too, because part of this, part of the whole, I don't want people to fall in the trap of, and whether it's a prosperity gospel or whatever it may be of, okay, if I do God's will, mm -hmm. then he's going to answer all my prayers or whatever. And I think you, you hit it really well the way you, you worded it. You said, when I am in his purpose he is more prone to answer my request. So it's not a, I do, I get. Hmm. It's a, I do, he's gonna be more prone because I'm in a relationship. So similarly, if my, you know, my daughter says, hey, dad, can I have this? You know, because we're in a relationship, I'm gonna be more prone to say, yeah, I wanna get that for you. Hmm. Does that mean I'm going to? No kind of thing. So that, that's the one thing that I, I wanted to make sure we kind of covered. Yeah. There. It's, it's not a prosperity gospel either. No, no. That, um, that it, but it is, he's a loving father yeah. and he will be more prone. Yeah. Um, not only that, but it's, it's when it's his purpose yeah. Yeah. also. Yeah. So when we're asking in his purpose yeah. that he's more prone to go ahead. Well, if it's in his purpose, it's yeah. more than more prone. <laughs> yeah. Actually, he's going to do that with that. So right. yeah, it's, so. it's probably a waste of my time to ask God to give me that nice lake house. Because I don't see how that's in his purpose for me. Mm. But if I start asking him, hey, uh, give me some insight into the text so that I can preach the word of God with authority and with accuracy, I think that's, he's more prone to answer that and honor that because I'm asking based upon the purpose yeah. that he's given me. Right. Um, and so I, I appreciate that question because I can see how that would very easily step into a prosperity theology ethic. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Any other thoughts? No, I think we're good. It's been good. Thank you. Hey, Wait, great hey. to have you as a guest. Yeah, I love yeah. you both. I love the relationships that we've been building. And again, yeah. going back to that theme, that central thing, that relationship thing. Yeah. Um, I truly believe that the Brookside is on a upward trajectory where God's doing amazing things, mm -hmm. which um, myself, as well as everybody out there, I, I would just challenge you guys, pray for these guys, pray for the entire staff um, as we continue to transition, as we continue to go towards what God's want us to do uh, for that. And not just say, hey, I'll pray for you, yeah. but actually do it with that. Um, Good so. application. Absolutely. So thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate your time and uh, just uh, really putting up with me. I, I mean, that's a, a big deal that you had to do. I'll remind you to subscribe to the channel and uh, come back next week and uh, we'll come back and see what's going to happen. So thanks and have a great day.